Hello and welcome back to Coast to Coast FC, the Canadian soccer podcast focused on all things CPL, Canadian Championship and more. My name is Felipe Vallejo. And I'm Mike Rice. And today we got a bit of a clustered episode for you. We got review, we got previews, we got a little bit of a team of the regular season in store for you. It's a bit of a mixed bag, but there's so much stuff going on right now in the Canadian Premier League. It's so hectic that we're trying to get to you everything to you as much as we can in you know the form of an hour and a half to two hours uh, in our current format but um it's going to be an exciting episode we're going to review that exciting match between pacific and york united right away but before we get into that make sure to follow us on our twitter instagram and threads at coast to coast fc and on spotify apple google podcasts and wherever you get your podcasts so you know exactly when we upload but without further ado let's start with that match because there's so many things we can talk about mike uh i i I guess let's just start off with what happened in the first half second half is where a lot of the things happened, but there were still quite a few, few talking points in the first half. What did you make of each team's performance in the opening stages? I think we all agreed, didn't we, with Charlie uh, the other day? It was going to be a bit of a sort of a niggly, a little bit of a nervous, maybe uh, first half in a game where both of these teams are maybe not at the top of their game, uh, Pacific especially, form-wise, York fighting against the odds. Um, and they, they'd had these big defeats to them. And York, I felt personally, were, uh, and I, I'm pretty sure most people agree, probably the better, t- better team going in that first half. And I was really getting concerned from a Pacific point of view, just uh, they need they needed James Merriman's gone out and said in his press conferences uh, beforehand, like the regular season's done, this is the playoffs, it's a new leaf, let's go, sort of thing. Um, but it didn't seem like the players really felt it truly on the pitch. And on the, from a York point of view, they, they were off to a really good start. And um, despite the fact that they weren't the team that got the uh, ball in the net for the first, the first, uh, the first time with TMG, which, um, which is uh, a bit of a misjudged, um, uh, misjudged line from the uh, Pacific side. But I mean, how do you feel? I, I mean, York were pretty decent, weren't they? I thought from the, from the first half, especially, and probably been upset to not have really been taking the lead, especially as Jose de Rosario. Yeah, Ozaze had that chance where he uh, tried to be cheeky in and uh, chip the goalie there, but it uh, got you know cleared off the line by Mukabila. Really well. Yeah, uh, very well done from him. Um, but yeah, no, I thought York were were really good. Uh, the way that they opened the game, the way that they started, they started on the front foot and they started with confidence and to be able to go to Pacific. And yes, they haven't been on great form, but it's still Pacific. It's still Starlight Stadium. And the fact that they went with such confidence and they started the game, they started pressing, they started trying to dominate the ball, and they did. I remember checking the stats inside the first 15 or 20 minutes, and York had anywhere between three quor- uh, or two-thirds to three-quarters of possession. Hmm. It was it, like it's so largely in favor of York in those opening you know, 15, 20 minutes that I was really thinking that, A, York United 
looks scary. And if they get a, you know, if they get a win from this, imagine the win that they get under their sails and they'll feel like they can beat anybody as the away team all the way through. And secondly, I, I also thought for Pacific, it's, you know, for me, this is your only home game. This is your only home game. You're in front of your fans. You're, you know, supposed to be on paper, the favorites, mm. and you're letting them just like kick it about like if it was their backyard. And so yeah. I was also really concerned for Pacific and especially in those opening stages, Pacific were sort of, I don't know if it was nervous or they were just, they didn't were caught in two minds, but they were really not great at pressing York's midfield and York had on numerous occasions chances for long shots. And, you know, Brem Sumaro had that one that rattled off the crossbar. Yeah, just after the left foot chance, he got a curler. Exactly. Gets it on his favorite foot. What a hit. (laughs) Yeah, it was like, it was an incredible hit. But the, the, for me, it's like, you saw the first one and it was like decently close. How are you going to let him do it a second time? Yeah. And like, it wasn't even just him. There's a, I forget the players, but there's a couple others. I think Mobabuli had one as well. One or two shots from just outside the box. And, and it's like, what are you trying to do? Like, I, I, I get that sometimes you want to just like take a step off. So you don't, they don't do quick plays and get in behind your defense. But at the same time, that's why you have your defensive midfielders and your other midfielders to press the ball carriers before they shoot and they didn't do it. And so that was also concerning for me from a specific point of view in the opening half. But York, I really thought that they looked like the favorites overall. I thought that they were full-blooded in the sense that they were challenging for every ball, challenging for every duel. And it wasn't towards, it wasn't until like a, towards the like 30th minute where Pacific started to get some life yeah. back in them and started to impose themselves more. And the one thing that Pacific did well, uh, obviously with the players that they have, is that they started to draw fouls to sort of slow the momentum down for York and start to allow it to then go back in, in, in the favor of Pacific. And that's why I think Pacific not only did that for killing momentum, but also they were super dangerous on set pieces. Yeah. I thought for sure... Yeah. In this game, if anyone was going to score, if Pacific, anyone from Pacific was going to score, it was going to most likely be from a set piece. It wasn't the case in the end, Uh, (laughs) but I think most people were thinking about that. But, you know, from another point of view, I guess, York, yes, they will be happy with the performance, especially in that first half. But it's the fact that they didn't put their chances away that is going to be, I think, the most regrettable thing of their situation because they played so well, but there was a couple of chances where they didn't, they weren't clinical enough. And in the end it cost them. But uh, Mike, for you in the, you know, in the second half, I think that's where we got more of the action. That's where we started to see a lot more, (laughs) uh, you know, even a little bit more heatedness Uh, in the first half. We saw, you know, uh, mobile bullies starting to get a little heated. We saw, uh, a couple of, uh, I think it was Sean Young that got a yellow. Um, they all scratched um, Babuli's yeah. neck. Scratched Mobabuli's neck. Really bizarre. But, <laughs> yeah, and I don't know. I don't expect that from Sean Young, honestly. <laughs> um, but I guess you know they, he recognized how dangerous he was. But in the in the second half, what did you make of the response from Pacific? Because they started to get a little bit more into the game in the second half and really start to challenge York more. Yeah, I mean, Aparicio was pretty dangerous throughout. He was full of energy um, and getting around the pitch and trying to 
especially kick off some of these sort of transitional attacks um, were coming through him because, I mean, on the right, Ayman Salouf was quite ineffective throughout this game. Um, on the other side, I thought uh, Josh Hurd's probably not had... I, I think he'll look back at this season and not be particularly happy personally that he would have set himself higher goals. I think he's not had the effect as the captain he wanted. But in this game, I felt that he really did lead this team in a sort of a positive attitude getting forward and really hounding like the the, the um, York defence. And I think when they when they came out in that second half, the running that these players were doing off the ball to really sort of make a make a make it make it difficult for the York defenders opened up some of these opportunities. I mean it wasn't until the uh was it 51 minutes Aparicio has a shot from the edge of the uh, just outside the box and it's really well saved by Giantsopolis and we'll say that again a few times in this pod. Um but that was the first shot they had on target and they and I think it was important for them to get one quite early on in that second half. Like we've got to test the keeper. We've got to make sure we're showing that we can create something because Defensively, I thought they p- played really well. I think TMG and Didic, as usual, had a really good game. George and Bukulia um, <laughs> really stumbled over his name there just then. <laughs> really good on the left. <laughs> uh, couldn't let Dadalouk defensively. He was really good again. Um, so def- And I felt Sean Young actually had a, quite a good game as a DM. Um, Stefan Yates was given that chance to roam a little bit more with um, Aparicio. Um, and up until... Uh, we saw Cedric Toussaint. I thought Young, especially going into a yellow card as well for that bizarre sort of foul tackle on Babouli, managed yeah. that quite well. So it was it, it was really important for them. And I mean, the fans that did come, it didn't look particularly full in Starlight for the only playoff game you're going to get there. Um, they got something, they got their crowd behind them a lot more with uh, it early in that second half, which was quite important to sort of level out that game again and try and take a little bit of control. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, like you said, a couple of players there, I agree with you on. I think uh, Eamon Salouf, I was really disappointed with his play uh, on one too many occasions. He was trying to be cheeky and like, I remember in midfield, he tried to do like a back heel and it went right to a York player and allowed York to sort of, you know, immediately get on the front foot again as our pressuring Pacific and just like too many giveaways, too many uh bad passes just it did he doesn't look like the same player that we saw in the first half of the season and when he comes on as a sub like yeah it's that impact role it like when credit to james merriman everyone's screaming about how great like Simon salute is all season and he's managed his minutes and to use him in the right way and he's given him the chance now in this game and salute didn't take it no and for a player of his quality, of his talent, I mean, he was my favorite yeah. player to watch in the first oh, half man. of the season. Uh, I really expected a lot more, especially at such a crucial point in the season. This is your one, again, home game in the entirety of the playoffs. You want to perform to your best. And he really didn't live up to the occasion, I thought. And, you know, what's funny is that his replacement came on. It's another player that a lot of people have been criticizing. Uh, but he was the one that got an assist with uh, yeah. with the wonderful cross. Uh, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, before that, we got to talk about some other stuff that happened <laughs> in the half. Uh, I think it was the 60th minute where yeah. we had a very contentious, very, very contentious 
uh, decision. And this is one where, you know, previously I thought, I thought the refereeing uh, until that point was very well done. Yeah. I thought that, you know, catching the offside in the, uh, the TMG goal, I think the officiating from the linesman had been solid with offsides and with fouls. I had no complaints. No, Generally, it's... the best refereeing performances I think that we've seen in the league so far. You've and got some the, 16th... the um, sarcastic clapping from the York players, but I think that's just part of their shtick now. <laughs> like yeah, I think that's just the mentality that they have yeah. at this point. Uh, but then the 60th minute comes along and a corner comes in and I believe it's Tom, uh, Thomas Maguire again, TMG, on the head. He just seems to be able to meet every yeah. cross that goes into the box well. from a set piece, whether it be a free kick or a corner. He's lethal in the air. Yeah. Does so well to to head it on frame, and Jensopoulos, you know, moves super quick, mm. stretches out that that long left arm yeah. and seems to claw that ball away <laughs> before crossing the line. At least that's what the referee's final decision was: mm. that it did not cross fully across the line. The linesman was there. I don't know if he had the clearest of view, uh, but he was looking and. Again, credit to the referee. There was protests all around him. He went to go talk with his assistant referee. They had a little chat and they decided that it would did not cross the line. And they pointed yeah. for, I believe it was goal kick because it bounced off. A, uh, 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 yeah, Ongaro got in at the last, like, tried to react to the rebound and um, couldn't uh, direct it on goal. So, yeah, goal kick. Uh, after exactly. That. So, again, it was one of, it, it, it was uh, pointed towards a, a goal kick. And, you know, a lot of people were saying that it crossed the line. A lot of people were saying that it didn't cross the line. And even on the replays, it was very, very difficult to tell. So I think it's one of those things we talked about with Charlie in uh, the uh, episode earlier this week. Uh, The referee, it's just better if they make the safe call. Yeah, with the Finian. Situation where it was better to just make the safe call. And I think it still is the correct call. I don't think the ball fully crossed the line. And it was just a spectacular save from Giantopoulos. Mm. What were your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, it does look like, I mean, he's diving backwards into the goal. <laughs> so, which immediately, because of the angles you get at one soccer, like we we, we haven't got that goal line technology uh, in the Canadian Premier League. So you're only going off what you can see at a certain angle. Uh, it looks like it's gone over. How much has it gone over? Who We won't know. Um, but, I, but when when the league and games are in uh, are settled and incidents like this are decided by the human eye you the like I've, I've you've got to put your hands up and applaud what the the referee and his assistant did um by getting the players away from them making sure they had that chance to call and the referee's got to say to his linesman it's say can you can you say with 100% confidence that that ball has fully gone over the line and if he can't say yeah definitely that's all the way in no doubt then you can't give the goal uh, as much as specific and as much as if we get random camera angles from a drone over the top of the stadium that no one knew about uh, in that moment in time, that's all they can do. Um, and you've, you, I, they, like you say, they've managed the game really well. They've done, and that's the best that um, the human eye can do. Um, and if it has gone slightly over, yeah, Pacific will probably get over it now. Um, but these are the things that yeah you, you just have to accept without VAR and goal line technology and all this and 
and that's kind of what makes the Canadian Premier League fun at times, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, you know, for as much as we uh, call for VAR, I think this one was handled pretty well from the referees. And I don't think, you know, VAR and goal like technology would have probably been still useful to be able to fully rule it out or yeah. to correct it. But I think even without it, it was a, a good call. And I think, you know, in the end, it didn't really matter because the result was the same. Um, yeah, if it had gone the other way, but um, yeah, if it gone the I other mean, way, then it, might, it would be. It would be still, more talking. Very, still very much on the like on the point that yeah, get goal line technology in, and VAR would be very useful. I'm not saying let's just uh, have a kick around and enjoy the mistakes, but you, I, I think it's really important because referees have and at, at times rightly got a bit of a um, uh, bad rap because of the way they they have mishandled some incidents throughout the season. And there has been some poor um, poor performances from referees. But it's really important to say how well they did in this situation. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, it, it, it was something that for me kind of showed that there is you know potential for referees to still have, you know, authority and autonomy and work with these technologies and they yeah. don't cancel each other out. Right. And yeah. you can have, still have referees still be good and still be required and you still need them to be competent and an experience and that's why we want to train referees to be better but they chose that you can work with technology if need be and i think you know we still believe that technology would be good for the league whether it be goal line technology or a var or vr lights or whatever it is yeah. um, let's remember that var isn't a robot it's another referee it's another exactly person. yeah <laughs> yeah let's go watch the premier league for these issues um but knowing that these referees can make these decisions and then have someone in their ear to say actually let's have a quick look at it together then at those times it's right but um yeah credit to i think yeah and then we got to talk about another huge chance this time in the way of york united uh about the 72nd minutes Mordekunis had a ball on a plate, had a goal on a plate for him. A cross comes in, it bounces uh, around, and it falls perfectly in front of him, about four yards from the from the goal, and he scuffs his chance. Yeah. He just fully swings and misses, and the ball, the danger passes, and that was a chance for me where you, I was thinking, you have to put those away. Mm. You have to put those away. I understand this chaos. You're all heightened. You're maybe jittery because what's going on. You're still trying to gather your bearings. But that's a moment where you, as soon as you see the ball starting to come to you, you got to focus. You got to be like, okay, let me wait and then go. Not just thrash at it. Uh, it's lacking a little bit of that composure. And I think that's something that York United, for uh, uh, as well as they did, they lacked a little bit of composure in front of that. And I think ultimately that is what cost them. But you know it's interesting looking at that so like jump in like you expect that from at the other ends like york were putting pacific under so much pressure who are so competent defending and attacking set pieces they, they they've got two of the best defenders for that in the league they manage themselves well they've got big central midfielders like and they they've dealt with crosses into the box like you've 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 got a pacific in different ways not that way and the fact that york were creating that panic in the defense in that penalty box and they couldn't quite capitalize on it but like that must be really frustrating for those york fans thinking oh they were they, like they had them on the ropes to a degree at that point yeah and 
it, that's why it was it was surprising when an opportunity like that came and went. Yeah, and then you thought, oh, this 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 might be the point where some some of the scales start to shift, mm-hmm. and uh, and and you know, Pacific for as much as they have also been struggling in front of goal, they have players that can finish those chances when they presented to them. And in the end, that is what happened with, you know, I think it was in the 91st minute, I believe. Yeah. It was the goal. Yeah. And it was a very well taken goal from Adonijah Reed. Adonijah Reed, who came on for Josh Hurd, uh, who got a little bit of the injury uh, there at the end. Um, I think it was uh, at the moment I was thinking this is a terrible time for Josh Hurd because he had been playing so well yeah. in the sense that he kept drawing fouls. He was the most fouled player in the match with six fouls. And he, I thought it was his ability to draw fouls that was going to allow Pacific to get a set piece and then eventually find the winner. But in the end, it was actually the substitute who came on for him, Adonijah Reed, who we have talked about before. He's not really that much of a goal scorer. He is more of a creator. He's the one who likes to pick up the ball, pick up the, uh, in spaces and likes to, you know, uh, create chances and be in those pockets and not really that pure number nine that sometimes he's put into being. Mm. In this case, he wasn't a pure number nine. He, he came on on the right-hand side and made the impact. And I know for you, it, it comes at a at a, a loss for a player that you thought was really impressive yeah. in this match in Martin Perot um, that Adonijah Reed managed to cut across him and score that goal. But what did you think about the goal and, and York sort of defending uh, in those last moments? Yeah, this was a really tough time because, I mean... We spoke about that um, more coolest chance. Max Ferrari was the man at the back. I mean, Pacific were, were hitting him on transition, and Max Ferrari made a great interception to stop, like, nullify the attack. But then it's on his side, Kakuta Mane, who's been largely ineffective as well um, for a lot of this time. He gets the chance and plays in a, fa- a really, really well delivered cross, and he sees Reed make a really intelligent run. Uh, and he gets the the right side of the fullback, uh, Martin Perot, um, um, and finishes well. It was a really, really well worked. Um, the two substitutes combining really well. Um, and yeah, I mean, before my um, Caden Martin Perot, I felt he's been brought in late in the season. He's a young player, more usually used as a winger uh, when he was out in Germany recently than the fifth tier there. And just gets thrown in at left back and you you get put up against Ayman Salouf, who's been one of the most exciting wingers that we've seen um, in the uh, Canadian Premier League. And he was kept him quiet. Josh Hurd then comes across, keeps him quite quiet in the, in the few minutes he has um, before he picks up that injury. Uh, and then he gets a third player in Adonijah Reed who comes on fully fresh, ready to make an impact to himself, was probably been sitting on the sidelines for the like probably the last 20 minutes thinking my chance is coming my chance is coming i'm going to come on because like we need to we need to get the win and he's uh he gets on with a lot of energy and makes that makes that run um and that's real credit i mean you've mentioned there and nigeria really probably not the goal scorer i find i mean i don't know if you agree with me whenever i watch him i think he's not he's not reached his ceiling by any like by any um any way of thinking about it. He's got so much about him that you think, okay, this looks great. And he can do so much more in this league. 
Um, and he showed, and, the, and the, that goal just showed me another one of those bits where he's he. And in the next, if Pacific can hold on to him and keep him there, he's going to be really, really vital going forward. In the next couple of years, he's going to be a really key, key player in the Canadian Premier League. Yeah, yeah, because he has that ability. He's shown that ability. He's only twenty four years of age, so he still has room to grow yeah. and to improve. But he will be able to. I think reach a level where he will be more than just an impact sub. He'll be an impact whether he starts or off the bench in general. Finding uh, the right role, isn't it? I guess. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That was going to get to is is the the it it matters on what position he plays and what roles he plays in, and if it's suited to the way that he likes to play. Because I think that was the biggest thing throughout this season is that he's been sort of shoehorned into these positions yeah. that isn't his best. And maybe it's not what's he wants to do things that are not required of him, or he's not allowed to do things because of what's required of him. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, throwing him on the last 20 minutes and just be like, go and get us that goal. Yeah. You know, you can't do that every game. Uh, the way that Idanaj Reed likes to play just it, it depends on whether he can find that proper role in this team with James Merriman. And if he does, then fantastic. Then we'll probably see a, a great player come in. Um, but yeah, I, I, Martin Perot, I think, like you were talking about, did very well uh, to to sort of quell dangers from that side. Uh, I think he was dynamic also in the attack. He had a couple of chances where he he, uh, put uh, some decent balls into the box and it was unfortunate for him that it was across his side where they got that goal. Mm. Um, But, you know, it doesn't detract from his performance. And I think, you know, if he continues that, he's going to be a very, very bright prospect in the Canadian Premier League uh, in the rest of this playoffs as far as, as uh, or no, not in the rest of the playoffs, in the rest of the, the uh, this career at York United and wherever he may go afterwards. It, you know, it, it, the ceiling, we don't know what his ceiling is because he just came on. He just, yeah, he just appeared exactly. seemingly out of nowhere. Uh, but, but, you know, next season we'll see what is in store for him if he stays at York United, if maybe another team in the CPL want to get him or if he gets another move. But it's he's a bright prospect. Yeah, because like... coming out of Victoria, it, you know, it's something that uh, somebody who's from Vancouver likes to see BC uh, people <laughs> uh, performing well. But yeah, he, he he who knows what's in store for him. That I mean, we I've, we've spoken about sort of the last few weeks about these young players getting these opportunities because of the U twenty one minutes. And they've given them, and and some of them have really taken their chances to make sure that they're used in the playoffs. And they're not just okay. We'll use them for minutes, and once they're done, we'll then put them back on the bench, and we'll see where they go. He's he's come in really quickly, been used for that sense, but he's got his position and he earns it, and uh, had a really good game. And you'd imagine that I mean, every other team's going to be watching that game, uh, and they'll look at him and think. If he's only on a short-term contract, maybe he's definitely a player that's worth having a look at to see if he can um, improve our side. Yeah, definitely. But then we have to move on to what could have been <laughs> likely, in my opinion, the greatest CPL goal of all time. I think... And, the, and it was the perfect player for it. He's deserved it. All yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's It's... It could it would have been absolutely storybook. Paris G from BC, you know, and in this York United squad that is just, you know, no one is, is expecting them to be there. No one is expecting them to win. They just want to go behind. They look like they're going out. 
And Parashi could have come up with an absolutely spectacular bicycle kick goal <laughs> to equalize and force extra time. And you never know. I mean, with that, that could have galvanized his side to play even better in extra time. And it might have been York United who would have come out the winners either in extra time or even on penalties, right? And it could have been so much. It could have been such a story. When it went in, I remember I went wild <laughs> for about two seconds. <laughs> just, I could not believe my eyes on that fantastic technique from Paris G and what could have been, what could have been. Unfortunately, though, it was offside. <laughs> and so yeah. the referee uh, ruled it off, rightly so. You saw in the replays that he was offside. And in that situation, I know it's easy to say, you know, with with force, with, with hindsight and with, you know, being from the armchair, you know, an armchair tactician be like, you know, you got to do this better. But in those situations, you know, you know when the ball goes out that the ball is immediately going to get back in. You know that that ball is immediately going to get back in. You're seeing that Pacific are pushing up, as they should, their line to catch yeah. any strays offside. You have to react quicker and go with that line. Mm. Because if he would have taken a few steps towards you know the, that line and got it in line with TMG there and then would have turned back as soon as the cross went back in, then you know, I don't know if he would have been able to do the bicycle kick. I don't think it would have been that <laughs> spectacular, but he might have headed it and might have still gone be able to get the equalizer in a legal fashion, right? Yeah. So it's again, it's easy to say all that, obviously, with emotion and you know how tired you are and the despair, you know, the desperation from the team and from the player, it, it can make you not be at a hundred percent. But God, I wish. You know, just from a neutral point of view, I wish that bicycle kick could have, you know, worked. I wish, you know, there have been many times this 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 year where the assistant referee has not flagged very obvious offside. If there was, I would trade all of the other ones for that one just for the storyline because, oh my lord, what a finish uh, that could have been uh, for Paris G and for York United. Yeah, I mean, he's he's filled every like every need. That Martin Nash has had Paris G's put his hand up and done it all year, and to get that chance and yeah, it's I mean it's a fantastic bit of technique and you could you would part of me was looking at the Pacific and thinking they're struggling they're hang they are literally hanging on for these two minutes that's left and I can see chances coming because they don't they're not the they're confident selves but I think like when you now now that they've you look back at it and you see how well that line went together the defensive line reacted brilliantly to the second ball got themselves organized that's really important for them i think going into this next game going when they go to halifax next week that okay we're put under pressure but we kept our call we did what we're meant to do and we and we ensured that we saw the game over the line and there's been times where Pacific haven't done that in recent weeks. Um, so knowing that they're getting hounded by York or throwing bodies forward, they've dealt with the difficulties in the first half and they've continued to play their game all the way until the end and got a result is uh, a much needed hit in the arm, I think, for um, for this team. And uh, they'll get a lot of credit from, from the manager for sticking to what they're meant to do. Um, and... <laughs> 
who knows? Yeah, we'll, we'll go into the next game later in the pod. But that I think that's really important for them that they 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 got that right. Yeah, and it's it's something that uh, Atletico Ottawa might want to take notes on <laughs> yeah. on how to defend late chances <laughs> in added time um, for next season. But uh, yeah, in the end, the final result was one goal to nail for Pacific. That late Adonijah Reed being the difference, and now Pacific. Uh, have a quick turnaround. They're flying from coast to coast. Exactly. Uh, uh. <laughs> uh, they're flying to Halifax for uh, on Saturday for that uh, next round uh, against Halifax. And whoever wins that faces the loser of Cavalry Forge. And that's going to be another exciting game. And we will talk about that. In a little bit, because right now we're going to take a little break from the playoffs. We're going to sandwich this in and we're going to talk about our team of the regular season. Uh, I know this might give people a little bit of whiplash since we were just talking about that, but I promise (laughs) you we will get to those previews afterwards. We just thought that, you know, a lot of people we were seeing online on social media were posting their team of the regular seasons. And we thought, well, we can't just let this go by. We got to put what our own team of the season (laughs) And so we're going to go through it, you know, fairly quickly. We're not going to do our usual thing of the wheel and spinning. We like to do that with another guest. And when it's a dedicated episode towards that, we will probably do that for maybe team of the playoffs. I think that might be a cool one or maybe like a team, a team of the season overall or everything, including maybe the playoffs. We'll see how we do that. But for now, we're just going to go over our team of the regular season. We can go, you know, we'll go in order of who we have in each position. We can give a little spiel about it and then we'll move on to the previews. So Mike, for you, let's start, let's start from the goalie position. Yeah. Let's start from the back, from the, the foundation. Who do you have as your number one in the team of the regular season? I've gone with uh Cavalry Scarducci. Um I think there's a good there's a couple of I think it's a tough call between some of these um some of these goalkeepers who have performed really well. There's been some really good standout performances throughout the season. Um, but for me, Cavalry have regularly, especially coming later on into this season, won games relatively narrowly, but managed them really well. And Carducci's led that defense and he's organized that defense, um, kept plenty of clean sheets. I think just one behind Tristan Henry. Um but kept them in games earlier on in that season where um, when they were suffering draws and their defense was quite leaky to start the um, to start the year and was switching off at times. Um, so for me, I just I just feel like he's been um, other goalkeepers have had a few errors throughout the game throughout the season, whereas I can't really name too many Carducci errors. I just feel like it was errors from the defence on the midfield in front of him that have caused him to be put in difficult positions. So that's why I've gone with him. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I I was so close to choosing someone else than Marco Carducci. Yeah. <laughs> uh, obviously, the other option was Ryan Yesley. I went so far yeah. as to look at, you know, like the the deeper numbers about prevented goals and how many shots they face. And even though Ryan Yesley faced more shots uh, and still prevented quite uh, around the same amount of goals as Marco Carducci, Carducci, I just feel like it's not just the fact that he's a good shot stopper, but it's also, you know, it's the fact that he's the captain and everything that he's, he's helped 
the cavalry do this season from that position as captain and you know the fact that he's that he's been a day one uh yeah. with cavalry like a lot of outside factors outside of just the stats and yeah. even just outside of the eye test that makes it uh, you know i don't feel like we i could in my heart of hearts leave him out from no. my team of the regular season there so i also chose him as number one but special shout out to ryan yes i think he could very yeah. easily either you know take the the golden glove award next season maybe even this season depending on how uh the votes go but i think he's a a, a great uh goalkeeper to get to get you know i think that he is going to be uh a, a player that uh i don't know if he'll stay in valor very long but he deserves some plaudits for the season that he has had definitely um, i mean nate ingham coming back in after injury as well and tristan Henry's had his Great games. I mean, that game where he made the most saves uh, of any goalkeeper in the Premier League um, uh, way back at the beginning of the year, which I can't remember which game it was, but he's had his erratic sort of performances as well. Um, but those two as well, I thought, were well worth the uh, mention. Yeah, definitely. And now moving on to our defence, we'll go right to left. Uh, so this one is a very contentious one for me, Mike, and I hope you'll forgive okay. me for who I chose. But well, let's start before we get to that. Let's start with you. Who did you choose as your right back? Okay. Oh well, I went with Zach Fernandez. I've really, uh, I've really enjoyed him playing wing back, full back, whichever part of the game um, in this uh, Halifax system. Uh, he's, I, I just think he's been really exciting, and he's done the defensive side of it really well. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, Zach Fernandez has been a great player uh, on that uh, on that side for. Halifax and I actually think that he's like as a right wing back he's a player that has played in a capacity that shows his ability attacking wise as well as defensively I think that's a modern fullback yeah Uh, you know we want to see players that are good offensively and defensively and you can put a right back at sort of that right wing back position and he'll play well but if he doesn't have that attacking side he won't play as well as you might want to play especially with the style that Patrice guys would like to play and if you put a right winger at that right wing back, he'll be attacking well, but then it might be a defensive liability. So finding a player that can do both, I think, um, is a great uh, asset for any team. Well, for me, I, sh- I I will put my hands up. I will fully admit. I have shoehorned a player into the position that <laughs> does not play right back. I think maybe has played right wing back a couple of times uh, in a 3 3 um, I have gone with uh, Ali Musi. <laughs> oh, wow. This is, yeah, I was expecting that. <laughs> yeah, as my right back because of who I have at right wing. Uh, I hope I can justify myself afterwards <laughs> when we get to this forward line because I couldn't I couldn't decide between the, these two players. And despite having quite a few right backs that have impressed me, I figured I might as well just Go throw both back. of them in. Yeah. And just, you know, just plead plead for forgiveness from anybody who has any qualms with it um but let's just pretend Ali Musi isn't you know I was talking about you know the the wing back that can attack and defend let's just focus yeah. on his attacking abilities attack. uh, and uh he's been superb just I don't think there's may have been many players like him who have been as consistent as he has been ever since you know I think the first few games of the season he was sort of warming up he wasn't always showing up but then he's been consistently sort of having those moments where he has 
proven how much of a special player he is, whether it be the way that he drives uh, against opponents in the 1v1 situations, whether it be the the crosses that he puts in, the set pieces that he takes. You know, he's getting, he, he's gotten a few goals, he's gotten a few assists. And while the numbers might not signify that he's, you know, yeah, had the most impact for those who have seen the eye test, know that he has been a absolutely superb player for Calvary and know that he, I mean, he could be off to uh, a potential player of the year candidacy with the impact that he's had. And if, if things continue in the playoffs, then, and then there might, he might even have more of a case. Um, but yeah, for me, Ali Musi is a, a fantastic player, obviously not right back, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> there was yeah. just, I, I could not choose between uh, the right the right winger and the right back there. So please forgive me for shoehorning him <laughs> into a position he doesn't play. Yeah, he's um, one of the first names on the sheet for me as well. Um, but yeah, not a right back. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely, definitely not a right back. Definitely not a right back. But now we'll move on to uh, the center backs. I believe, Mike, that we've had the same formation. Despite having more liberty, we both opted for the 4-3-3. <laughs> yeah, there's too many wingers that I wanted to get in. I was going to go wing backs, but too many yeah. wingers to be there. For me, it was it was a, it very much a tough choice here. Uh, <laughs> and hence why I had to put a player completely out of position. Um, but I think this one, these two sort of speak for themselves. Uh, for me, I went Dan Nimick and Dan Klomp. I think those yeah. are just the two best center backs that we've seen in the league. And I think both of them have a shout to even be able to be contenders for player of the year, definitely defender of the year, but even player of the year. Either of them could probably have a shout for for being nominated or even winning it with the performances that they've had. Uh, what's so interesting for me is that such completely different profiles but they're both still so good at what they do. One is more of a ball playing uh, a defender, penalty taker, and Dan Nimick. It reminds me a lot of the way that Stephen Vittoria likes to play for the Canadian men's national team as a central okay. defender. And I feel like he could be a natural successor to Stephen Vittoria in the Canadian men's national team. That's how highly I rate uh, Nimick. Uh, while Dan Klomp is more of that leader, more of that gritty defender strong physical he, he i'm not saying he doesn't have a, a bit of ball playing but i mean his aspects is more of that as that pure defender interceptions clearances blocks tackles that's yeah. his game that's what he's best at and he just sort of leads from the back you know, with him and marco carducci they're just both two solid solid players uh that help cavalry sort of stay focused and and play to their very best and i think that's why they're both likely most people's center back pairing is that your center back pairing as well it is yeah that they have double down um it's uh dynamic's been great fun coming in like when we spoke to patrice geyser as well saying like yeah they people said to me you can't throw someone in when he's like, coming out of college into center back he was like yeah but i can i know he's got it uh and he's repaid him like uh, patrice geyser has helped him uh, I, I can only imagine um, like how much he's helped him day in, day out to become the defender he has been throughout this season. 
and dynamics worked really hard and he looks so confident like i remember um the ottawa game a long way back in ottawa uh, and he went up for a header and mistimed it and atletico ottawa then went in and i think they won 2-1 um or 2-0 Geraldo hit the bar with like a back heel um I forget the exact time, but I saw Nimit get he was so angry at himself. He was like pounding the floor because he'd made a mistake. And then for the rest of this season, like so you don't know where that could go for some young defenders like there, but he's continued to I mean, he's stepping up and taking penalties in the hundredth minute. Um, he's got that confidence and the ability um that's really made him a yeah, a, like he was easily um easily there with uh, Dan Klump for me. Um other players like I mean there are the thing that is really really impressed about these two is I mean we just spoke about um Pacific like Amir Didic and uh, TMG have been really good all season like and they're two two fantastic defenders Mandrakar James has been fantastic all season but these two I'd look at every time and say yeah that's they're like without without having to really debate it too much those are the two I'd go with every time from form this year yeah I think it's like I said before, an easy choice for mm. the two center backs, and uh, I'm sure we could spend the rest of the episode just singing their praises. But we'll, <laughs> we'll move on to the left back position, the other full back position, and I promise that this time I actually did choose a player that plays in this position. Uh, though, all, all, all recently he Your has Ayman not from the left wing back. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, exactly. Ayman Salou from the left back. No, uh, this is a player that has played left back, um, but recently has not been playing left back. But at least he has played left back yeah. in this one. I'm sure you can guess who it is. But I went first last time, so uh, Michael, let you go first this time. Who do you have a left back? Exactly the same with uh, Dave Brian straight in yeah. there. He was fantastic at the beginning of the year. From like you could see, he was a forward, like converted to left back and made a few mistakes, uh, as young players will, and players thrown into a uh, a different position in a team that wasn't fully functional. They were like they 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 was they were a work in progress at the beginning that I was really excited about. Uh, <laughs> it didn't quite didn't quite go. Um but from that left side he's he's defended well. He's given his given his all for like that for that team for all season long. Uh, and then when he's been moved forward he's he's just been just as effective. Um and he's he's a player that really deserves a lot of praise this season. Yeah. Hundred percent, and that yeah, for the same reason is why I chose him as my left back because not only was he impressive when when he was playing left back, and when you know, yes, he made a couple mistakes, but when he went on the attack, he was their most dangerous player. I I'm glad that naturally after his injury, they pushed him higher up at the left wing position, and he was able to even impact the game even more. And we we know we've sung his praises last week in the under 21 team of the season as well but it, it's it's worth re- restating he's one of the brightest spots for valor this season and a, a season that has been so disappointing overall yeah. i think for uh, uh for that team and for that organization knowing that they have a player like debrienne and will certainly have a little have a little bit of an impact on them and having more optimism for the future that is if they can keep him Exactly. In this yeah. off season, because I'm sure there's a lot of interested parties, whether it be in the MLS or maybe even some in Europe, definitely some other teams within the league that will yeah. probably want to try to snap up Matteo Debrian. 
but uh yeah just a fantastic player i'm so excited to see how his uh career trajectory uh, unfolds and because i know he's uh, gonna be a player that if he plays his cards right could be going to the very top uh in the in in his position there i said it before about him he's so important on off and off the pitch for this team and the fact like uh, to to lose him, like you can, they they've got some really good players in this Valor team, and they just need a bit of work to improve that squad. But you lose Debrienne, and that's a huge loss um, for the club as a whole, on and off. And he's such a young player, which just shows how 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 imp- like impressive he is as a player. Yeah, yeah, and like, again, we're excited to see. Hopefully. He stays in the Canadian Premier League, maybe selfishly, just so I can see him more <laughs> in this league. But if he goes on to do bigger and better things, then all the power to him and hopefully he continues to develop. But now we'll move on to the midfield. Uh, Mike, do you have one six and two eights as I, I do? I do, yeah. We've, we've, we've matched this up. We're, we're like one mind. <laughs> we're like for like. Amazing. So we'll go with the six. I'm thinking we probably have the same six. Possibly. Possibly. Again. Uh, but I went with Lorenzo Caligari from Halifax because, you know, as much as Halifax as a team have been impressive, the heartbeat of that team, the linchpin of that team that we've mentioned time and time again is Lorenzo. He has been superb coming in. He the mold that he has is so unique. It's like he the the position that he plays, the role that he plays, only he could play it in the league right now. I don't think there's another player on his level of quality and caliber who could fit that position and play to the level he does in the way that he does. Uh, you know, he has the most passes in the in the Premier League when usually that's a center back. He has the most through passes in the Premier League. He's in top five for uh, passes, uh, smart passes. He's in top five for progressive passes. He has the most passes into the final third. These are just, you know, insane stats that show, show how involved he is in con- the construction of play for Halifax. And while defensively, he might not be the strongest out of everyone in the league, he makes up for that because he just rarely loses the ball. And he is able to have those line breaking balls. He is able to keep possession going. He's be he's able to spread the play. And he's such a such a fun player to watch, especially if you are a fanatic of that sort of thing, which I am. I have always liked, you know, midfielders, sixes and eights, those those kind of uh those uh you know, the ones that make the the game tick. The yeah. the pace setters is what what I what I call them. I love those players. I always have throughout my life. That's why myself I play a six in real life, <laughs> and to be able to watch Lorenzo Caligari, it's like everything that I would ever have wanted to be as a uh, as a as a boy wanting to play this position. So he's just a fantastic player to watch, a fantastic player to have in your team. Patrice Geyser must be so so happy to have that kind of quality in his lineup, and just yeah, superb overall for Lorenzo Caligari. Yeah, same. Uh, yeah, he's 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 mine. He's there's been there are plenty. I mean, I've raved about Cedric Toussaint as so important for Pacific. Um, I've loved Jesse Daly alongside Charlie Drafford. Like the two of them have been fantastic. Jamapore is so important for um, Forge. He, he he plays such a big role in that thing. But like you say, Caligari is so much fun to watch. Just, like it just 
he's just so sexy on the ball. <laughs> like when he's got the ball, is you know something's could happen. You you're on the edge of your seat, and let's not forget, like beginning of the season, he's racking up yellow cards. He's probably got more yellow cards than most people in the first half throughout the season, but still plays the ninety minutes and still gets himself involved. And like it's not he manages games really well. Um, obviously, he's playing alongside players like uh, Mohamed Omar. So you've got another defensive player alongside him. Uh, at times they play that sort of dual six more often. Than, but he doesn't, he's, he's not, yeah, defensively isn't his, like, the highest quality um, of, of what he brings. But he still gets really well involved. And he's not, he, he doesn't back down. He's not just a six who's going to sit there and get muscle, muscled off the ball. He will throw himself in and get involved for the team as well, off the ball as well as what he does on the ball. And that's, I mean... When you've got someone who can do that on both sides of the ball uh, in this league, like it's it's gold dust, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it genuinely is. And I like that you said that he like the way he's such a sexy player because that's as weird <laughs> as it does. It's it sounds it like he's such a elegant player in what he does. Everything that he does, he does it with finesse. And it's almost like you want to pair him with like some fine wine with some like brie cheese and like some 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 like you know artisan crackers. <laughs> yeah, just because he's so like it's the way he just plays so elegantly. It's mm. so beautiful and wonderful to watch. Uh and so it's no wonder that we both have him in yeah. our team of the regular season. Now let's go with let's just go with both eights. Uh, yeah. we'll, we'll talk equally about both. Um, I'll let you start this time again. I'll be I'll be very surprised if we both don't have the same. Yeah, eights. I think we uh, definitely definitely got one. And probably, yeah, for sure we have one. So um, go ahead. Holly Bassett ran straight in yeah. there. You can't, you know, <laughs> the goals he scored, the performances he puts in for Ottawa. Like he's a um, a legitimate player of the year candidate. Like he's. He's an incredible, really, really talented player. I mean, it's been said, uh, this is nothing new about Oli Vassar. He's one of the best midfielders in the league. I went with Carl Becker alongside him, uh, carried Forge at the beginning of the year when they were struggling for form, when forwards weren't weren't fulfilling their roles one there's just there was no rhythm in this team that team at all. And Carl Becker got them on his back, got them going. And yeah, we may have probably seen this last sort of two months, a quieter version of Carl Becker, but that's only because his team have started to really contribute. He's still putting in the performances for me that, you know, okay, he doesn't now have to do it all himself. He can just be that quality central midfielder. Um, So yeah, those are the two I went with. Yeah, same thing. Same wavelength there. Uh, Like you said, Oli Bassett, what a season that he's had. Last year's MVP has pretty much kept it going uh, this season up until maybe the last third of the season. But that's also, you know, it's not entirely his fault. His whole team just kind of <laughs> fell off a cliff straight down and plummeted, um, but still does not take away his quality. The fact that he was tied for the Golden Boot Award, 11 goals with a striker and he's a midfielder, shows, you know, his attacking prowess. Also, the way that he likes to uh dictate play in the attack and like to create chances and make those line breaking passes as well it's it's a player that um you know he's so smart and he actually he's he's so clever that he actually leads in smart passes by like a lot yeah. in the league i was checking the stats second place is tied thomas Hiraldo actually and gabby batar with 18 and then he leads with 37 smart mm-hmm. passes 
in the league. So so near yeah. uh, double, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, more than double, actually. And so it just goes to show like how much of a quality, intelligent player he is in the attack. And so much goes through him that that's why we were saying at the at, at towards the end of the season that it felt like they were relying too much on Ali Bassett, Ottawa, to try to bail them out of situations. In the same sort of vein that we were talking about Kyle Becker earlier in the season uh, as well. When Ali Bassett was flying, Becker was, uh, I felt like, was being relied on too much because of the quality that he had as well you know for for kyle becker he had he was second in most through passes behind lorenzo calgari he was tied for first in key passes with aiden daniels uh he i was third in most passes into the final third behind calgari again and manny aparicio in second (laughs) And the list goes on. I could go on and on about different stats that he that he's in, but it just goes to show like he's so involved with the play and the way that he likes to just move the play from one side to the other. I know it doesn't seem super elaborate or, you know, sort of difficult, but that goes so much in this league just switching from one side to the other can open up such an avenue for the attack and he's so good at just switching play from left to right and that's what you want to do a lot of the times especially of possession especially if you're facing teams that like to go in a lower or mid block you have to be quick in switching side to side to try to catch the other team you know, off guard and try to find those spaces that they leave behind. And he's so, so good at that. And honestly, I feel a little bit bad for him because I feel like out of times his attack has let him down where they haven't been as in sync. Yeah. Yeah. Especially towards the end of this year where they haven't been as in sync, uh, maybe as we had been hoping. And I'm glad that a player like Batty Banga has come in where he's kind of given uh, a little bit more uh, leeway towards Kyle Becker by having his own set of skills that sort of demand attention. And Kyle Becker doesn't need to feel like he has to step up every game to be like that guy. Mm -hmm. Um, But Kyle Becker, a superb player, one of my favorite players to watch. I loved watching him when I, when I, I would used to watch the games in the stadium. I love watching him on TV now. And so it's a, I mean that that's a star-studded lineup in the midfield. Oh, yes. Caligari, Bassett, and Becker. That midfield three, whoa, that one is is yeah. one to be reckoned with. I mean, there's players like I want to give like Manny Aparicio is hard to leave out. I think he's been really good this year. Sean Young started incredibly, but he's stumbled a little bit um, throughout the season. Um, and there are plenty of other players that you can look Diego at. Diego Gutierrez, exactly. Um, Gutierrez. And, um, I mean, so on the, I mean, Fowler had a fantastic midfield at times. I mean, um, Polisi, I was, is a player that has worked so hard in that DM, but he's just not got the quality that Caligari has. Um, so there's plenty of players that what's, what's nice to see is I think we've like we agree because I think Bassett and Becker have been top, top quality throughout the season. Um, but what's nice looking like is the fact that I was actually wrestling with wanting to get other names in, thinking, oh, there are like these players, have been, but I can't quite get them above these two. But there is the quality there in this league in that sort of in that position that really does sort of excite you um, and makes you quite well, makes me again excited for next year, even though the playoffs haven't even finished. <laughs> 
Yeah, exactly. It just we want to see these players play week in and week out because they have quality and they make the game fun to watch. But yeah, it's fantastic that we have other names that could have easily slotted in as well if it wasn't for just how much on another level these players are. And it still would have made for a really good team of the regular season. But now we'll move to the attack. Uh, We'll go and we'll, I think we can take our time with this one a little bit more. Go right wing, striker, left wing. Um, We'll go with the uh, left wing first. Uh, Who do you have as your left wing on this one? Uh, probably my personal favourite player of the year, Ferrin, uh, over Halifax. He's drifts in our games at times, uh, but when when um, when he gets the opportunity and when the time's right, he, he absolutely can destroy a team. Um, <laughs> you know me, I've I've gone into this uh, this season just I want a new team to win something. I want a new team to challenge. So as much as I appreciate everything Forge have done, it was so nice to see him just like at times just destroying Razor Rama with like coming up from League One Ontario and taking on a giant in Forge in the Canadian Premier League and and looking like he'd been doing it he like he'd always been doing that playing at that level, um that that was really exciting for me um and he that's why I like personally uh he may not i mean it's, he may not be the best player in the Canadian Premier League but he's the player i tune in to watch um straight away each weekend yeah and since we're talking about him i'll just mention he's on the right wing for me okay uh, <laughs> he was the player that i could, that i had that pushed ali musi back to right back for me <laughs> because i could not choose between the two of them massimo ferran like you said the fact that he stepped up from league 1 ontario and was and it has been scoring for fun for Halifax, scoring superb goals, but not just scoring goals, but creating goals, looking dangerous in the attack, the runs that he makes, the spaces that he takes up. He's such a fun player, both on and off the ball to watch. And he fits in perfectly, which should be no surprise given the history that he has with Patrice Geyser. But he fits so perfectly in with what uh, Patrice Geyser has been trying to do with Halifax in the style that they like to play. And so ultimately, you know, it shouldn't be that much of a surprise that he's done well, but I think you can be surprised that he's performed this well in his first season. And it goes to show the quality of players that are around Canada that might not be, you know, in these MLS academies or in, in Europe that they can just make a step up, you know, Massimo Ferrin coming up from league one in Ontario, Dan Nimick coming straight out of college, two players that are in their first proper year as being a professional and they've, lit it up and so i think that it goes to show with a player like farron like he can go so far if he just keeps playing the way that he's been playing and i'm so excited to see how he continues to perform in this playoffs he could very much have a case for for you know the difference maker uh in these playoffs if halifax are to go the full way um so i'm, I'm excited to see how he performs on saturday against pacific he's really Oh, yeah. Sorry, like jumping. No, no, what you were saying, like, like, com- like, from fully back you up on what you're saying about a player from League One Ontario coming in. But what's what's fantastic for the game, I feel, in Canada is the fact that Patrice Geyser and Massimo Ferrin have done this together. There's the like, so not only has the player come in and done it, but the coach has, and the the, the two have done it together. So 
it's fantastic to know that yeah there's some fantastic coaches out there there's that other fantastic canadian coaches there's more teams maybe getting added into this league in the future down the line probably not next season maybe the season after they we've got good coaches that can come up and bring players with them that can affect this league really well and hopefully that's something that we get to see more of yeah for sure and i'm sure as you know this sort of um feeding line between league one Ontario to CPL and CPL to other leagues continues to get developed. We'll see more and more talents like the, with the likes of Massimo Ferrer and, and even, you know, in the coaching, maybe perhaps as Patrice Geyser has done coming into the CPL in the future. Yeah. But uh, now I'll talk about my left wing that I chose. And this is a player right. that um, I couldn't leave out despite him not having a great last few weeks maybe even a couple of months and this one is another one that might be contentious because maybe he deserves to be dropped and then i put ali musi into the forward line yeah. alongside massimo ferrin but i can't help it it's it's Amon saloof mm. um you know we were talking about how he had such a poor showing against york united but still regardless of that in the first half of the season even when Pacific were starting to slowly teeter down the table. He was still a fantastic player for them. He was still a player that despite not maybe getting uh, as many minutes when he did come on, he was impactful. He was the one who was trying the most to create things and make things happen. And the quality that he has, the ability and the talent that he has sort of demands him to be in the team, in my opinion. And the, you know, the, the, the amount of dribbles that he's been able to do, the amount of you know assisting goals that he's been able to 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 rack up for a team that has been sort of misfiring in the second half of the season just goes to show how much of a quality player he is overall. And he is still only 22 years old, yeah. which a lot of people might not realize. Sometimes he plays like he's 27 years old. He's still only 22 in years old. In a new old. country, in a new league. Uh, exactly. So impressive. So, so he's he's he only has so he only has one way and that way is up in my opinion. He has so much room to grow. He has so much potential that I think next season, if if you know James Merriman is, is able to steady the ship a bit with with Pacific and figure out what is his best lineup and and what is the best way to play them, I think it has to revolve around Amon Salouf because I think on the pitch he's the most talented player bar a few players in the set in, in the premier league just on pure ability and um to, you know get the eight assists that he got um uh, again in a team that was misfiring a little bit in the attack goes goes to show his quality uh not just in front of that but also uh in helping support his team so he was my left winger uh since i mentioned uh my right winger Though you feel free to to now you talk about your right winger. Yeah, I mean, Ayman Salouf for me was the hardest one to leave out. I've left him out of my team. I've gone with Ali Moussi in that bizarre right wing position for him. <laughs> so, totally bizarre. I don't know what you're doing putting him in there. Right, I, I've, I've just found Ali, Ali Moussi has been consistent as a starter and a key player throughout, uh, throughout this season. Um, whereas, yeah, Salouf... I I I I struggled between him and Ferrin, but I went with probably my heart over my head for that with those two just because of my personal preference. Um, but I went with Ali Musi as the the first winger of um of my in my front three. Um, 
just because we spoke about him really early on the beginning of the season when they were racking up all these draws and it was maybe in the second or third game of the year when we started uh so the third game of the year we started this podcast and in those first sort of two or three weeks he'd played on the wing and the ball wasn't getting to him one game he played as a 10 and just destroyed destroyed the opposition at times he was fantastic and it just seemed from then on cavalry worked out a way to make sure that he wasn't just left on the wing. He was drifting in and finding these spaces and just became really an all round dangerous wide forward. Like it wasn't a winger. He wasn't like an inside forward. He was a bit of both in every game. And that just sort of elevated his level even more. And yeah, the free kicks as well, the set pieces. It's just had he's just had a fantastic season. And I mean, like both both of us, we can't can't leave him out of the team. Yeah. Again, hence why I shoot a shoehorn <laughs> him in at that right back position. Uh, and I'm standing by it as much as uh, as much as it, it might hurt people. I'm, I have to have him involved with the team there. Um, but then that just leaves out uh, our number nine, and I would be surprised if we have a different number nine as well. Um, uh, I'll start this time for me. Obviously, it's Meyer Bevan, Golden Boot winner. Uh, he is a player that, despite for me not scoring too many open play goals in the second half of the season still did enough in the first half of the season. And with the penalties that he did score to, you know, shoot cavalry to the top and keep them there and help give them that lead. And he's as important as many other players with cavalry um, that cavalry has in, in being able to, you know, have this achievement of winning the North star shield and, and being the champions of the regular season He's a dangerous player, and when he does get those opportunities, more often than not, he will score them. I think next season he just has to figure out how to maybe be a bit more dangerous in open play and find those spaces a little bit better so he can score more goals. Because I generally think that if he can score more open play goals uh, you know, consistently and not just rely on, on penalty taking, he can be a player that scores 15, maybe even 20 goals in the season uh uh next season depending on how cavalry uh continue to grow and evolve uh, in 2024 what about you well i nearly went with mandrakar james after you put moose here <laughs> but, but yeah no i went with bevan as well and yeah like like you say you, you spoke about the, the work he does off of the ball for his team and we chatted about it throughout the season like where he went on these patches of not really not not getting any too many chances from open play but his other play like his teammates were because of the movements he was making um he's a really selfless player he does he does everything for his entire team he's not a number nine that is just get me the ball i'm gonna have a shot He's doing everything he's doing is to make sure that his team get the best opportunity whether that's him converting or one of his teammates and without him as that striker, the like uh, Ali Moussi, William Accio, Antigone, all these players may not have got the opportunities that they, they've got this year. He His movements may not have opened up these lanes for them to make those runs and the passes, um, which is why to get those goals, yeah, a lot of them penalties, but to get them as well as do so much off the ball and so much for his team is why I, why I went for him as well. Yeah, yeah, and 
you know, it, 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 based on goals alone, you could have maybe put Ali Bassett at the striker position with the goals <laughs> that he scored. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, Taron Campbell had a, per, I guess, a bit of a purple patch mm. in the middle of the season where he scored a bunch of goals. Again, kind of peter off a little bit towards the end of the season and had a slow start, but he could have been in there. Uh, Wubens Passius had a sort of um, after that hat trick against Vancouver, had a bit of a renaissance this season as well. And he got off the wing and back into the middle at times and <laughs> adapted to his wing role. But CS, he was one that I was um, tempted by. Um, uh, and I really had at parts of this season, I really had um, high hopes for Sam Salter. Um, he was put in a really difficult position, I felt, at the beginning of the year where his team were ultra defensive and it was only Oli Bassett getting forward to try and support him. And he was running all over the place, working hard, but completely isolated. Then the team started to improve and you saw really good things from him. And I thought, okay, well, this is, this is a striker that could be like a really top. Uh, And you can see why they paid the money to get him from Halifax, but then the team fell off a cliff. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, And then like you said, He's a player that uh, you had high hopes for. I was more intrigued on how he would be able to play in an Atletico Ottawa side that was playing the way they were playing. If he was able to adapt, I think he's just a, a player that likes to play with a team that has a bit more attacking intent, uh, you know, and where he has players that open up space for him rather than him trying to open up space for others. So he can get into those little pockets and be able to uh, score goals uh more consistently i think um but yeah it's it's yeah. another player that hopefully in the future we see a little bit better from um yeah. and, and maybe from, a better situation gel morelli next year like if uh now he's come back from that injury he's a player that could be getting shoehorned into that center forward role for me next season <laughs> yeah true true yeah. very true uh now that all bets are off with the, yeah. the one that i played. <laughs> Uh, but that is our team of the regular season. Um, hopefully, uh, we didn't. It wasn't too outrageous for you, despite my uh, <laughs> my pick for that right back position. But I think for a lot of these players, uh, they speak for themselves and why they deserve to be here. And I think I'm pretty happy that we have. We're we're pretty much on the same la- wavelength, bar one position, <laughs> really overall, yeah. uh, one two positions. Uh, but yeah, uh, that is the team of the regular season. We're now going to move on to our last sort of main segment here. We're going to do some little previews for the uh, next two playoff games that we have on Saturday. We have the first game that we're going to talk about, which is going to be the Pacific Halifax game. And then we'll move on to the Cavalry Forge game in a little bit before finishing off with who was our player of the match from the Pacific York game. But Mike, Pacific against Halifax. This is going to be a, I think, a a, a preferred matchup for Halifax. I honestly think that if they had to choose who they would want to face between those two, I think they would have probably wanted to face Pacific because they, for me, are still the weaker of the two sides. And given historically, uh, you know, with York beating uh, Halifax away from home, it's something that I think they'll be happier to to host a Pacific that aren't firing on all cylinders. And even in that win, didn't look too convincing. Do you think that's true? Yeah, I think going to going to Halifax, 
you need to have the the mentality that York have of everyone hates us, everyone thinks we're going to lose, let's go and prove them wrong. Whereas I don't, I, Pacific don't seem that team. They seem that team of, right, this is how we want to play. Let's try and do how we want to play. And you're going up against 12 men when you go to Halifax because a packed crowd getting those players motivated is it's going to be incredibly difficult for them. Um, that's not to say they don't have the quality, but we but we've we've mentioned it a few times. And if you have to, if if you're picking before the game started and you're predicting, you say Pacific's confidence is the one that's not quite there, and Halifax in that environment can really pounce on that. Um, so it's going to be. <laughs> The the opening sort of 10, 20 minutes are going to be really, really vital in this game, uh, especially for Pacific. I know, I know you're probably feeling exactly the same way. Yeah, definitely. And with, you know, I honestly think the uh, Halifax are sort of wringing their hands when they saw Pacific <laughs> win that. Despite the fact that Pacific have won in Halifax this, yep. this year, um, Halifax have beat Pacific both times 2-1 score lines. Well, against York, they've lost twice uh, of Halifax. So I think they'll be happier with Pacific. And and you're right, Pacific, they're they're not, for me, like, they're not a a team that really scares me right now. They just look a little disjointed. They look maybe some players low on confidence. They're kind of still out of ideas at times. They don't really know how to, you know, get out of sticky situations that they sometimes find themselves in. And Halifax will very much enjoy that. And I think for Halifax, they need to start off on the right foot. They need to take the game to Pacific in the same way that York did at Starlight, but this time do it in front of their own home fans. And they have to learn from the mistakes that York had, which primarily was you have to finish your chances. you got to put those chances away. If you can do that, then you can beat Pacific because Pacific, as much as we might be you know, putting them in this light of, oh, they're not all that. They still have quality and they are still able to score a late goal like we saw uh, yesterday against York United. And the last thing that Halifax want is to suffer the same fate that York United faced. And so they have to be not only focused the entire 90 minutes, but they, they could potentially settle the tie in the opening half an hour, maybe in the first half, if they are clinical enough and if they are strong enough from the start and that will definitely be a an exciting game if that's how it starts to unfold but from a pacific point of view what do you think they need to do to come away from halifax with a win especially in the form that they've been on recently yeah i remember I remember texting you a while ago saying I need to work on this analogy and I never did, but they are like a beautiful butter knife. It's, it's just that it's just a bit blunt. Like everything looks great as they start at times and the build up play is fantastic. Or when they hit you on the counter, like on the counter attack and things start, they, they go, especially when you've got players like Manny Aparicio, it just starts bounding through the middle and you've got these wide players with pace and movement, but it just doesn't click once they get into that final third. But they go it like, but they've got the quality, and we see it every time. Like you, you, they didn't get to those heights that they did at the beginning of the season without this quality. So it's there, it's somewhere. They just need to find it, and 
like James Merriman's been given this long contract because the club believes in him. I, I completely believe he's very like very capable of taking this team to like the top level. Like he will continue to improve them and he will continue to challenge at the top level. It's and from their point of view, I hope that he can get that out of those players and he can get them believing it again. Because I sometimes see that then it's it's a lazy maybe it's a lazy sort of analysis, but they just don't seem to believe in themselves enough at times. Like uh, I'm sure, like if you speak to them, like they will say, like yeah, no, we we are top quality players. We need to do it. And they just need to show it on the pitch again. Um, and when it comes to play, like Halifax have been fantastic at home. Like you can't deny that, which is going to give them the edge. But this is this is something that Pacific will say. We've we've won trophies before. We know what we're doing. A lot of these players have won a trophy before. It's not like Pacific are consistently like changing up their squads. They've just added to it. Whereas this Halifax team is a whole new team together who have performed really well all season. Are they like? How do they react in a in a um, in a playoff game with their fans expecting so much? That's something that's going to be interesting to see as well. Yeah, for sure. Because Halifax have a little bit. I mean, it, it's definitely an advantage, but also a little bit of added pressure mm. that you know, first time in in the playoffs since uh, the Island Games, and it's going to be a home crowd that expects so much, especially with the way that Halifax have been playing that that can be added pressure on the players. And maybe there are some players that might get affected by it. Now, knowing how Patrice Geyser is, knowing that the way that he likes to set up his team, not just, you know, physically, but mentally, the way that he, the mindset and the philosophy that he likes to have around his group of players, you would think they would be prepared for that. But nevertheless, that might prove to be a factor, especially if, you know, Halifax go down early can they deal with the dread that they must feel of going out in front of their fans and be able to respond properly and try to turn it around? That'll be an additional test for Halifax if such a situation arises. But uh, let's go now into our predictions for this one, Mike. What do you have as your prediction for the game between Pacific and Halifax? I know it's a very tough one to call. It could very much go either way but i'm going to have to press you for your prediction yeah i'm going to i'm going to have to pick it on form and form alone and i'm going to go over 2-1 halifax win um but I, like i said when we were chatting about the um uh the pacific uh, york game the way they finished and the like and the fact that the team got up the line was managed and paris g was offside i think they're going to spur themselves on a bit pacific knowing that okay like we we've heard James Merriman talk about a process that this team that the, the, like this team is going to take into every game, and I think a little bit of that, as much as maybe like maybe it was a little bit of luck, but some that it was really well managed, and I think their defense will take a lot of like a lot of confidence from that, which could help keep them in the game throughout this match, and who knows? But yeah, form's going to tell me two one Halifax. Yeah. Uh, actually, I had the same scoreline uh, in mind. I also had 2-1 Halifax. I think Halifax are going to get, you know, two early goals, two goals in the first half, and then it's going to be a little cagey, and I think Pacific will get one 
in the last stages to set up a very nervy finish, but I think Halifax will see it through and go towards the semifinals uh, before the final. And uh, I think it'll be a very, very exciting match to watch because regardless of the results, they're going to have quite a task ahead of them facing either Cavalry or Forge to go into the final. Um, But yeah, I think think it's going to go the way of Halifax there. And now we'll move on to the other game on Saturday, the Cavalry v. Forge game, first versus second. The winner of this automatically moves to the final and hosts the final. The loser has to go to the semifinals and face the winner between Pacific and Halifax. Now for you, Mike, this game, you know, especially coming off of that 3-0 win over Pacific, Cavalry are fully flexing at this point. They're showing the rest of the teams try to come and beat us because this is our, you know, this is our playoff win. We are taking this playoff and we're becoming champions. Do you feel like Forge will be able to come in and ruin that party a bit? Or is this just Cavalry to lose at this point? <laughs> These two games are really hard to to predict. Because I remember when Forge last went to uh went and faced Cavalry up in Calgary and uh Tommy Wilden Jr. threw us off with this slightly 3-3-3-1 formation or whatever it was. He brought in Shamit Shom who who played this hybrid sort of right back DM role and it it completely it completely got the uh, upper hand on Forge and it baffled them and they didn't know how to deal with it and they pressed them and they got them uh, under so much pressure that they ran out to this 3-0 lead and I don't know like now in my head as I'm not Tommy Wilden Jr. <laughs> with all of his experience in my head I'm thinking well do I need to would I need to try something else like this again? Do I need to mix things up and hit them by surprise? Is that how we get past Forge? Or do I stick to what I'm doing? Like, that's, I mean, <laughs> he's probably very much nothing like me, but that's what would be going through my head this entire week, <laughs> preparing for a Forge game. Um, but they have got, they are on such good form, but it's just so hard to write off Forge. Especially once, yeah. like now, they are showing like these last couple of months, they're back to who they are. Yeah, maybe this game against Atletico Ottawa, they to finish the game. I mean, I like I was saying, and I think you were mentioning in the last um, podcast that it, it it didn't seem like it was a game that they were just like, let's just get through this one because it's playoffs next week. Yeah, exactly. And with forge this is as i've said before their playground this is their favorite competition so they're going to have that added boost knowing that this is where they perform their yeah. very at, at their very best and that's always going to be something that sort of levels the playing field i believe but uh for cavalry they just need to disrupt forge game i think i think if they disrupt forge's game by not letting them pass, by not letting them sort of, you know, manage the game, getting some possession and starting to get into that flow that Forge like to get into. I think if Cavalry can disrupt that, then they have the quality to be able to hit them on the counter, overrun them a little bit. And Forge will be known to make mistakes when they turn possession uh, in the midfield. And I think if they can take advantage of that, then Cavalry will probably march to a relatively comfortable 
victory, but you never know with mm. Forge because with Forge, I think on the other hand, Forge need to be more dangerous in the attack. I know that also might leave them a bit more exposed in the attack, but the way that the attack has sort of fell flat a little bit in these last few weeks and how they have been, they were at the beginning of the season for sure. They need to be a bit more full-blooded. They need to be uh, more adventurous, more brave, I think. They have the quality to get into those spaces that where if a if a you know Kyle Becker puts his heads up and sees that run at the towards the back post, even from 30, 40 yards, you know he can get it there. They have that quality to be able to spring an attack like that and surprise everyone. I think they need to try to do that to catch this very disciplined, very, very strong cavalry defense, you know, by surprise. And just one thing that I have seen that ha- that is a sort of a chink in cavalry's armor is that if you press their back line and if you press Carducci, Carducci has a mistake uh, in them sometimes and in, in that he will pass. We saw uh, to, to an opposition we saw uh, in their uh, penultimate game uh, that that was something that the, they allowed. Uh, I think it was against Valor. They allowed Valor to score off one of those opportunities. So if Forge can maybe press the defense and the goalkeeper a little bit, maybe they'll have a little bit of success into forcing a turnover in a good position as well. Um, but for you, Mike, for do you have any more thoughts on whether which way this game might go? No, I think I think it's 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 one of these weird ones where cavalry have so yeah. much confidence from such a great season. Um, but Forge, no matter what, as like I said it before the beginning of the season, like they're probably not going to go on and win the regular season. But as soon as they get into the playoffs, they they feel that they're the favourites, and they're going to go out. Both teams will go out into this game feeling that they are the favourites in a strange way. It's it's that's what makes it all the more exciting. I think for um for us neutral tuning in that these these two teams are going to go up thinking we're going to win this. Um. So yeah, that's going to add to the excitement of it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and honestly, I I'm I'm going to ask you again to try to make a prediction here. And I say that with myself not even knowing what I what I what I fully want to commit to. But you know, we we always get predictions at at, uh, at the end of our previews here. So we, we got to give one, even if we are wrong, even though it could go either way. So Mike, what do you have as your prediction for the final score between? Calvary and Forge. I'm gonna go with one one. It's gonna go to penalties and Cavalry wins it. Ooh, <laughs> I like that. I find it really hard going... to separate them. <laughs> yeah, going to extra time and penalties. You yeah. know what? I'd love that. I'd actually would love that. Them going toe-to-toe, throwing everything, fighting tooth and nail against each other getting one goal and one goal and not being able to separate and going to the lottery of penalties. Ooh, that would be a tasteful result. Um, that is not my prediction, but you know what? I, I, I hope that you are right. Uh, <laughs> I am going for a, 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 a solitary one nil win for cavalry here. Uh, okay. I'm thinking that, you know, cavalry's defense has been so, so good. And forge's attack has been a little lackluster at times that you know unless it comes out of a ba- uh, batty banger banger or <laughs> you know something special from from Kyle Becker I really struggle to see how Cal- uh, how Forge will be able to break down Calvary's defense 
But in the same vein, you know, Calgary will also have a tough task ahead of them because Forge's defense has been really good, especially in the second half of the season as well. I think for me, that's been the biggest difference for, uh, with Forge from the first half of the season to the second half of the season is not so much their attack, but more their defense yeah. and how much more resolute it has been. Um, and so it'll be tough for them. That's what I'm thinking. It's not going to be a high score line as much as I would love, like if it was a 3-2 uh, I don't think it's going to be that open. I think it's going to be a very cagey affair, somewhat similar to the Pacific York match from yesterday. And uh, I think it's going to go in the same sort of way of a one nil win for Cavalry. Yeah, I agree. Um, the defense has been a lot better. And maybe I'm being a bit harsh on Forge's fullbacks. But I think if Cavalry um, can get that win, that's, when you've got players like Akio and Musi on the form they're on, I think they can get the better of these fullbacks. Um, and that's where they will get the edge, I think. Um, it, I mean, that's not particularly outrageous shout from the way they've been playing, but I think that's that's the area that Forge need to be prepared for the most um, going into this one. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well... Uh, that is it for our previews. I know this is getting on to be a, quite a little bit of a long episode here, but there's so much again that we wanted to jam pack into this. Um, and so we're going to just quickly finish up with our player of the match from the game between Pacific and York United. Mike, as always, I will start with you. Who did you choose as your player of the match for that game? Yeah, I'm gonna go with Caden Martin Perot. Um just because like his his mistake getting the wrong side of um Adonija Reed was the only blot on an otherwise really impressive performance from a player thrown in. We've spoken about York's young players getting thrown into a crazy situation on and off the pitch. Um, but he's come into the league mid-season, um, playing out of position kept the exciting Ayman Salouf quiet. Um, Kunle Dadaloup basically plays as a right winger at times. So we've got two players to deal with quite often uh, and did it really well. Um, so, I mean, I was tempted to go with Sumaru because uh, I thought he was really good. He helped in the uh, in the centre of the field, but I really think uh, Kaden Martin Perot really deserves a lot of praise for how well he did through almost all of that game. Yeah. Yeah, he he was again. It's considering that he just came in from League One BC, you know, in September, and the fact that he's only played, I think, this is a sixth game for York United, and he was playing as well as he did. Yeah, goes to show how much. Yeah, exactly. And so come back into the fact that he's able to perform at a at a more wing back role, a more defensive role, it goes even more to show how much uh, of a quality player he is and how far he might be able to go, uh, depending on what he chooses in his career. But I went for a direct adversary for him. (laughs) Uh, Somebody that was on his side as well, that for me was also super impressive. And that was Kunle Dadaluk. I thought that Kunle Dadaluk defensively, maybe attacking-wise, wasn't as dangerous, partially because of uh, Martin Perot. But defensively, I thought he was superb. I was checking the stats afterwards and not only did he have the most tackles in the match with eight and won the most duels in the match with 14 duels, but he also completed the most dribbles in the match with four. He was making that right side really his, his 
familiar position that the familiar patch of grass that he loves that kind yeah. of you know ch- chalk line winger wing back that he likes to play and he was doing really really well and i thought that defensively he was sound and he helped that defense sort of withstand that early pressure from uh york united and close things down before they are able to get in behind his recovery speed is so good and he's so strong as well. So as soon as he gets ahead of you, he will not let you get around him. I thought I was thoroughly impressed. And, you know, he's a player that when he was injured, Pacific were really, really missing. And yeah. he's, he, again, this game shows of why he's so important to this team defensively and even in the attacking sense as well. Yeah, he was, he, I mean, he's, at times been caught out by having to be so offensive in possession uh, throughout this season. And he's, he's a key player for Pacific. Like he's one of the, like he's one of the biggest factors of them going forward and defensively. Uh, He's uh, yeah. Yeah. He's really one of the, one of the top right backs in the league, isn't he? Yeah, definitely. For me. And uh, if it wasn't for the headache between Massimo Ferran and Ali Musi, he might've had a chance and my team of the regular season. <laughs> uh, but nevertheless, that is all for this week's uh, episode. Thank you so much again for listening. Uh, apologies for a rather long one. Hopefully you enjoy it, even though it's jam-packed with a bunch of different things. <laughs> yeah. uh, and make sure to continue to follow us on all of our socials so you can see when we upload. We have a lot of content for you coming up with uh, more playoffs happening, the CPL final happening, and then a bunch of stuff once the award season rolls around as well. So uh, keep keep note of us. Make sure that you're following us not only on socials, but also on all of the podcast platforms so you can know exactly when we upload. And let us know what you thought about this week's episode. Let us know, you know what you're looking forward to in these two matches on Saturday. Who would you like to see in the final next Saturday? Who are potentially your players of the season? All of that will get to and more in the coming weeks. But until next time, I'm Felipe Ojejo. And I'm Mike Rice. And this has been Coast to Coast FC signing out.